We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. Big Super Bowl win for Tampa Bay. And I still haven't watched any of the Super Bowl clips other than the streaker. I don't know if you caught that, but wow, what a opportunity to hop on. But is it really a streaker? It's more of the disturber because they may have taken close off, but it wasn't like for nudity's sake. But then again, maybe if he was on the field a little bit longer, he'd have been able to, which led to a great call, really. And if you missed it from Westwood one, I mean, who who could say it better than this? Pull up your pants, take off the bra and be a man. <laughs> If you were just to say that <laughs> out of context and ask someone, what do you think he means by this? Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. I don't know. What would you answer? Who knows? Who knows? Just a uh, couple of quick things and a couple of minutes. We're going to actually replay a part of an interview from earlier this week, and it was a great interview, I thought. We're not going to play the whole thing. We're just going to play some of it. It was uh, talking about China, and there's been so many issues we're having with that country. It's a book that talks about what it's like to be in prison and the hidden labor that goes on in those prisons, the slave labor. It's really amazing. But I saw this um, from the New York Post. There's a new book coming out that reveals how just terrible all these people in news media are. So it said, right after getting hired in 60 minutes, Ira Rosen witnessed one of Mike Wallace's signature meltdowns. He said he was 26 years old, 1980, was assigned to Mike Wallace, and he was terrible. Said he'd go crazy all the time. Um, Wallace uh, cursed, told him that he was a failure because an interview that they scheduled dropped through. He said he'll be demoted as soon as he returns to New York. And he later said the verbal abuse he witnessed before would get called to HR and probably get you a giant settlement today. Nothing back then in 1980. He said, um, I'd rather work with a talented, you know what, than a nice person without talent. He writes in ticking clock, which is out on February 16th, his memoir of his career at 60 minutes and also 2020 in primetime live. But he goes back and to say 62 years old at the time, Mike Wallace known, for hard-hitting exposés, was also known for stealing other people's interviews in their uh, leads in order to make them his own. Um, pretty terrible, they said, the way he would communicate and treat other people. 
other people have mentioned in the book talk about like Barbara Walters and Katie Couric. Diane Sawyer was terrible. It's just like everyone's terrible. He had some good stuff to say about Chris Cuomo. Now he's on CNN now, but they called him a specific name. It says Chris Cuomo, now a CNN anchor, brought little journalism experience, but a heaping helping of entitlement to ABC when he landed a correspondence job there. His brother, now Governor Cuomo, nicknamed Chris Mansion Boy because Chris spent his teen years at the governor's Albany mansion during their father's administration. <laughs> mansion boy. <laughs> Said in 2003 execs at primetime live asked Rosen to mentor Cuomo in investigative journalism. Said I reluctantly agreed. Cuomo greeted me with, I understand that you are my new blank. He lost me at Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a, you know what, Cuomo? I thought he is definitely going to go far in this business. Oh, man. So if you work at a network, is the whole thought that you're just going to be treated terribly? <laughs> oh, man. In 2008, at the height of Hillary Clinton's presidential primary battle with Barack Obama, 60 Minutes uh, scored a coup. Both candidates agreed to lit the show behind the scenes of their campaigns. Kirk was assigned the Clinton interview on the Sunday night slot. But while producers wanted to challenge the former first lady with questions, Keurig, Katie Keurig, was determined to go with her trademark perkiness. So she tossed the script and went for the fluff. How did you do it? I'm talking about pure stanima. How did you do it? What? <laughs> Hard-hitting journalism. I got to get this guy on the show. I'm going to email him during the break. I, I got to reach out and I got to get this guy on to tell these stories. Oh, there's so many of them here. Chris Wallace didn't speak of his father, Mike, for years after the older journalist stole a story from him. Whoa, that's something else. Feel betrayed. Wow. All kinds of stuff. Oh, how about this? This is actually a really good story coming out of California. Los Angeles Times was one of the first ones to report it. Court rules that California churches may open despite pandemic. This is great news. Six to three decision granted in an appeal late Friday evening in South San Diego Church has repeatedly challenged the state's restrictions on church uh, services, including its ban on sign, uh, singing and chanting. Um, good for the court. So California has enforced the most extreme restrictions on worship in the country, the court was told. Um, so the justices and the majority deferred among themselves. And six to three vote, they said, no, churches get to open back up. Now, there are some other restrictions that go along with it. I guess you can go online and find it for yourself. But Justice Amy Coney Barrett said she was not convinced the ban on singing should be lifted. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts cast the key vote in the decision before. But in this case, Gorsuch is one of the three concurring opinions uh, California worries that worship brings people together for too much time, yet California does not limit its citizens to running in and out of other establishments. No one is barred from lingering in shopping malls, saloons, or uh, salons, I should say. <laughs> Maybe not saloons, it's not the Wild West. Or bus terminals, these are all great points. Are the restrictions that you find to churches applied equally among other businesses or at least things? And the answer is no. Uh, they definitely had higher restrictions on things like churches, and it definitely was unfair for them. And it's good that they continued to fight this. It was good that they were able to go out there and actually get this win going out to the Supreme Court. I think it should be noted that even here in places like uh, St. Louis, and we're going to use the, the county as an example, 
when they were doing it to restaurant restrictions, one of the very first things that people pointed out was that is it being equally enforced? Is the restaurant business being uh, unfairly singled out? And the answer was yes. Yeah, you saw other threats of lawsuits. You saw the one when it came to high school sports. And it's just sad when you see higher restrictions in areas, not in neighboring areas like in St. Charles County or even in the city. And then you have to scratch your head and wonder, uh, they're looking at the same data and information. Why are they being so overbearing and so controlling in these one places, but not the others? And keep in mind, it's not like it's really helping. And statistically speaking, it didn't really do all that much at all. And you would have been better off to just leave it open because you look at the way that it was trending to begin with. So good for California, uh, that one church, I should say, to challenge it in California and be able to get it to the Supreme Court. I hope that would be something that most churches could look at as a huge victory as it is and as it should be. So coming up after the break, this is an interview from last week. I thought it was a great insights into what goes on in China. There was a giant BBC article a few days ago, and in the BBC article, it talked about the, um, hmm, it, it's a group, I think uh, it's pronounced the Uyghurs in northern China. It's a group that if you were to cross the border, and a lot of them come from like the Turkestan area, they were being held because of their ethnicity, rounded up and put into these prison camps where they would to the women do horrible sexual crimes to them. They would bring in like men to, I don't even want to say, but they did, were doing some pretty terrible, horrific things to these women. They were putting the men through uh, the prison camps and they were doing slave labor. They were going through deprogramming. So the propaganda, things like that. And we're talking in the numbers of millions of going through this right now in China. Well, she wrote a book uh, to talk a little bit about this. It's called Made in China, A Prisoner, an SOS Letter, in the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. We're not going to air the full interview, but I'm going to air a couple of segments from it. You can actually go listen to it in the podcast right now. If you go to Overnight America and just search for our guest, Amelia Pang, who will replay some of that coming up next on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. It seems that we have spent uh, a lot of time talking about China as of late, and this included because it's something that, unfortunately, we have just this drive-by attitude towards. We may learn about it just very quickly, and then it's out of sight, out of mind, but it's a very serious issue, and joining us now is someone that's going to be able to really talk about this more, and I'm glad that we have author Amelia Pangon, author of the book called Made in China, A Prisoner, an SOS Letter, in the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. Amelia, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you so much for having me. And just last night, I was going over that BBC article that came out a few days ago, and it was just so horrific, the stories of the, the prison camps and what these women were going through. And it's just unbelievable to think the scope of how many people have been put through these prison camps. And I was uh, looking at your background, and I didn't realize that you, are, uh, you yourself have a background uh, when it comes to what we're seeing with the Uyghurs. Uh, yes, um, I, I am part Uyghur and part Chinese, um, and as a part of China's forced assimilation policies, um, my family, for the most part, identifies as Chinese because it's so difficult uh, to 
to live your life and have a normal life when, when you're a Uyghur in China. It's It was amazing. And just trying to go through everything that was documented in that BBC article just a couple of days ago, just really the horrific crimes that are being committed there. In your book, uh, you, you start to talk about the abuses of China. It's called Made in China. And knowing that you have uh, some relationship and understanding because of your family background, maybe you can tell me what made you want to write this book. Um, well, actually, um, I was really curious about the SOS letters. Um, my book is about an American woman named Julie Keith who um, opens up a brand new package of Halloween decorations from Kmart one, one day, and out falls an SOS letter that's written by the political prisoner in China who had made and packaged this very product in a labor camp. Uh, so my book tells his story. Um, how he ended up in a labor camp, what happened to him. Um, but it also steps back to look at the, the problems in our supply chain and the deeply flawed ways that a lot of companies are auditing their Chinese factories um, and what we as consumers can, can do about it. You know, I hear stories like that. You see them in the news and you don't realize that that actually happens. I always thought they were kind of like urban legends that someone would open up a product and they would find this SOS note in there. But uh, apparently this happens more often than we realize where there are people, just these pleas for help that are put into the products that are shipped here and across the world. Yes. um, Unfortunately, China does still have the largest forced labor system in the world at the moment. And You know, I actually traveled to China for my reporting, and I visited labor camps, and I talked to the guards who confirmed that they made products inside. I I followed trucks that left the camps to see which exporters they were working with. And, you know, this very much is is happening, and, and it's not even hitting very well. If you're a big corporation or if you're a exporter that wants to source from labor camps, all you have to do is show up at the camp and, and the guards will talk to you and they'll welcome you and they'll offer to show you around, uh, show you what they make. And, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's actually not hard to, to document. If you, I think if I could find out as an individual journalist, um, a big corporation with millions of dollars can, can definitely find out more than I, what I was able to if they really wanted to be serious about removing forced labor from their supply chains. Yeah, I feel like maybe in the 90s there was a big movement and people were becoming more aware of where their items were coming from, their clothing, their shoes, and it became more or less something that people knew about, but it didn't seem that changed too many people's habits. It was just too tempting because you go to a big store or whatever and the item's cheaper because of it or whatever product it may be, the the trade-off to forget that happens so quickly. I think even now in 2021, we're starting to become a lot more mindful of where these products are coming from. And it seems like more or less people are actually starting to act on that. Does that, do you feel that same way or do you feel like for the most part, we're still ignoring that? Um, I, I do, I do feel like people are becoming more interested these days in how their products are made and whether it was ethically made. Uh, even like with, uh, especially with Gen, Gen Z, you, you see them really taking an interest and willing to, to pay higher prices to buy a quality product as opposed to 
to many many cheap products uh, compared to compared to previous generations. They they have um, a different consumer habits that that. Um, it seems like we are the har- are the harbinger of of a, a potentially massive shift in our consumption culture. Yeah, it even seems like uh, for the past couple of years, from a government standpoint, when the Trump administration was confronting China on some of these things, trying to find ways to bring businesses back here, that became a, a huge undertaking. And I hope that's one that we continue on. One of the things that I remember, um, and I, sometimes you'll hear different people defend the the different methods of production in China. And they'll say things like sometimes these major corporations will go over there and what they'll do is they'll create communities. So they'll build these factories and, you know, there'll be schools for the kids and it's a good thing for them to do it. How do you know the difference about what's coming out of China? How do you even find if there's something that's done on, you know, maybe a company just set up base in China versus them using slave labor, them using uh, prisoners in order to get their things done? Well, the quality of the audits and, and the relationship that the company has with their Chinese suppliers really does make a difference. Um, a lot of companies these days might... They all have their sustainability pages or their corporate social responsibility pages on their websites. and um, But unfortunately, a lot of these uh, pages don't go into a huge amount of detail uh, explaining what how they work with these factories, um, such as what a kind of a deadline uh, do they give factories? How much time do they give factories to make these products? And what specific prices are they actually paying factories to make these products? Um, if they don't give them enough time or if the price is so low that the, the factory can't realistically make it for that low of price, then then the, sometimes the factory has no choice but to subcontract work to labor camps. So that is something that our corporations can control and we as consumers can start asking our corporations to start revealing information like that. You mentioned the movement uh, in the 90s to to really be more aware of where our products are coming from and you know that had to do with the Nike scandals of of their sweatshops and you know it that movement really it while it didn't save the world it, it did it did move things in a positive direction. A lot of corporations started doing audits um, around that period in response to to those scandals, um, and that was something unprecedented. Uh, there were no audits before. You couldn't even uh, corporations. Just a lot of corporations didn't even know how their products were made exactly, and there was no um, particular audit report that consumers could ask to see. Um, so that's a positive step, uh, but. But it didn't quite go far enough, and that's what my book is hoping to show, Um, because the audits that a lot of companies are currently doing cannot actually detect uh, forced labor. Uh, That doesn't mean that not all audits can, but it's just a lot of companies are being vague and not actually revealing what kind of audits they're doing. For example, um, a standard audit might cost a couple hundred dollars, and it would typically check for things like the cleanliness of the factory, uh, the quality of the merchandise uh, and the equipment. Um, it, it doesn't really check for something as complex as as a secret, a hidden subcontracting to mm-hmm. forced labor camps. Um, 
down the street. Interesting. Uh, There's different uh, uh, layers to it all. That's fascinating in, in the way that yeah. it's concealed in a sense. Do you mind? Uh, I'd love to keep talking about this after the break. And I also want to talk a little bit more of the history of it when this may have started. Yeah. And you're right about the Nike story, because that's when my dad said, no longer are we ever going to buy anything Nike. And that's what uh, right. in the 90s. You know, I'm in I'm in uh, grade school, high school or whatever it is. And all your friends, you go around, you look, they're all wearing Nike shoes and stuff like that. And it was banned in our household. And I look at that now as an adult and I start to understand that a little bit more and how uh, and why he came to that conclusion. The more you learn about this sort of thing. So after the break, uh, do you mind if we talk more about this? Sure. Thank you. Journalist Amelia Pang has a new book out called Made in China, a prisoner, an SOS letter in the hidden cost of America's cheap goods. We'll continue with her next on Overnight America KMOX. She's the author of Made in China, a prisoner, an SOS letter in the hidden cost of America's cheap goods. Amelia Pang, thank you again for joining us tonight on KMOX. Really, thank you for having me. In a big part of the things that we consume here is trying to find the best price on things. We're always scanning. We're always looking. And even the last part of the title of your book, The Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. I I wanted to ask you about what is the hidden cost, the things that we don't take into consideration when we know that some of these products that we consume and buy here in the United States are being put together through forced labor in China. Uh, the human cost is the the human beings that are in labor camps in China who are making our products a lot of the times. Um, a lot of them are not necessarily violent criminals. They're, they are political dissidents. They're religious dissidents. They're ethnic minorities such as Tibetans and Uyghurs. Um, they are uh, human rights lawyers. And, um, the, and these camps can detain them arbitrarily for an indefinite period of time uh, without ever going to trial and without access to lawyers. How many people are we talking about in China that may be in a prison right now that are being used as forced labor? It's hard to say an exact number because the Chinese government doesn't release good data on this. Uh, so we can rely on uh, individual organizations and journalists piecing things together. But we know that in just the Uyghur camps alone, have they, they have 1.5 1. 1. to 3 million people. And that's, those, those are not the only camps in China. There's many, many different kinds of uh, labor camps that uh, target all kinds of people. Yeah. And just recently, uh, China in the United States, between the two countries, their relations have been in the news a lot. During the Trump administration, one of the big things was trying to renegotiate things with them. But one of the also big things was the renegotiation of the deal between Canada and Mexico and the United States. And the idea was we have to bring back a certain percentage of our companies to this region, at least this side of the hemisphere, in order to try to take things out. And then, of course, with the pandemic, and the virus and the origination site in Wuhan, China, a lot of companies started to consider, well, our distribution is completely disrupted when some of these things happen. We have to really consider finding ways to bring it back here because we can't necessarily rely on China right now when it comes to these things. And it seemed like there was some momentum going for different reasons. It might not have been the forced labor camps or the humanitarian issues, but it was other reasons, political and economic, that started to 
turn the tide and bring things back. Do you think that's going to be the future? Do you think more companies are going to start to turn away from the forced labor in China? I I wish I could say that I do believe that. Um, and, and, and maybe there's a chance that will happen, but I don't think companies will willingly do that unless there are significant policy changes and significant uh, consumer demand for them to do so. I mean, you see Tesla um, opening a lot of factories in China. Um, I, yeah, I don't feel confident that uh, most corporations will um, pull out of China and countries like China that offer much, much cheaper labor for um, with very low labor conditions. Yeah, I wondered also the regulatory issues, if they escape certain things by having that done in other countries and importing them in that sense. But, yeah, uh, you know, with Tesla, for example, I think most of their batteries that they produce are made in China because of the rare earth minerals and the regulations are so much lower there than if they were to do it here in the United States. But, like, what kind of companies right now are utilizing this sort of thing that you know of? Oh, there's... There's actually so many. Um, it, last year, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute uh, released a report with hard evidence, including the Chinese government's own media reports and, and government documents, that found 82 well-known global brands using Uyghur forced labor. And they included brands like BMW, Nike, again, uh, Abercrombie & Fitch, and Ralph Lauren. Uh, these weren't necessarily cheap brands you might think of um, when you think of a cheap brand using forced labor. But um, but yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I would I would say I don't know if there is a company out there right now that isn't vulnerable to having forced labor enter their supply chain if they're not being careful and doing enough to enough due diligence. Yeah, I, I will give credit to some people I've seen. There's a lot of like different YouTube channels that do reviews of products. And recently it's become more fashionable for them to specifically show where the product was made. So if it was made in China, they show that. And we've always had it disclosed. We've always had the understanding of knowing where something like that was coming from. What do you think is going to have to change for people to really give a hard a hard thought of where they're going to decide uh, to, you know, why they're going to decide to purchase a product if it's based in China or not and decide maybe uh, they don't want to do that anymore. What do you think is going to be necessary for people to start thinking that way? I think what people will have to, to realize, and that's what my book is ultimately about is our, our current corporate definition for sustainability and transparency isn't really good enough. You know, a lot of companies will list, they'll list the names of their factories and addresses. They'll, they'll name, they'll list maybe some summaries of their audits or, or, or some audits, but not all of their audits. Um, but they, they don't quite go into enough detail about what they're, what they're actually doing to, to discourage factories from sourcing, from outsourcing work to forced labor camps where the labor is, extremely cheap and because their workers are not paid or they're paid uh, somewhere on a dollar a month to work 15 hours days, uh, seven days a week. Um, and, and they can be forced to stay up 20 hours or even 24 hours in some cases uh, if they really need to make a production deadline that the company gave them. Uh, so uh, 
what are what are corporations doing to discourage their factories from outsourcing work to labor camps? Uh, you know, so that that's that's one thing that we should start. There's there's basically new new things that we should start demanding companies review and that, that we ourselves should be looking for when we look at the when we look and judge a company's sustainability page. Wow. So it's not necessarily that it's made in China. It's that when it is ordered and manufactured in China, that sometimes it's being used in these forced labor camps. So do you see a distinction or is it just anything coming from China is something that is susceptible to this sort of labor? Um, I, I, I do see a distinction. I think there are good factories in China that do pay their workers well and do have good working conditions. Um, but if they're really pushed to the brink and can't make their order in time, then they have to outsource work to some really shady places. Uh, for example, let's say a company like H&M or Kmart or Walmart, they put in an order for 100,000 black hats. But then all of a sudden, a celebrity starts wearing um, lime green hats. And so now everybody uh, wants to buy lime green and other neon color hats to, to meet the latest trend. Uh, so a lot of corporations will want to capitalize on the latest fad um, as much as possible before it passes and try to get all their hat orders to change and, and become lime green or other neon colors. And, um, and they often, when they make this big change, when they make this big order, they, they don't give the factories enough time to realistically make them um, because they're trying to capitalize on profiting as much as they can after the latest trend, fast fashion trends that change very fast. And, and, and so when the factory can't make it, but they also don't want to disappoint um, a big brand that they have worked really hard to acquire, um, then they're going to secretly subcontract work to some really disturbing places, and, uh, like fa- factories that, that are abusing workers or a lot of times just labor camps themselves. Wow. And when you talk about these things in just the, the story, and we were talking about it on the show last night, but we've been paying close attention to some of these different prison camps for the detained and held Uyghurs where they're getting deprogrammed and they're getting propaganda. And the, the BBC story talks about some pretty terrible, you know, sexual abuse and crimes that these women are going through. Are these the same facilities that have the forced labor? Or are these different facilities? Um, a lot of them do have forced labor or when they're not being tortured and, and brainwashed, they are sent to work in a nearby factory um, yeah. Or sometimes their work, a lot of them actually have connections with uh, cotton fields uh, where they have to, you know, it, it's, it, it is essentially slavery. Uh, these people are not paid. Um, they're tortured and they have to do uh, produce all kinds of products from uh, cotton manufacturing to uh, just manufacturing raw materials of solar panels to PPE equipment to uh, human hair extensions. It's, it's really a wide range oh, of products wow. that these forced laborers are making. It's terrible. I mean, it's they're, they're gathered just based on their ethnicity and uh, not because they committed a crime. And all of these things go on. It's just, a, it's horrific, the stories that we continue to hear. If you're enjoying this interview with Amelia Peng, 
you should go listen to it. It's in the podcast section. We're just playing a couple of uh, segments, but we actually had more time with her last week, so you can go back and listen to it now by going to the Overnight America podcast and just look for her, Amelia Peng. She's the author of Made in China, A Prisoner, an SOS Letter, and the Hidden Cost of America's Cheap Goods. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. That will uh, do it for Overnight America. Just kind of uh, stretching out. Have some time before we come back again on Monday night. And really, I think if you enjoyed those last couple of uh, segments, Amelia Pang was great and Made in China and the book and the look into it. If you wanted to hear the whole thing, go back to the Overnight America podcast. You can get it right there. And if you want to hear about the craziness that happened this weekend in my house, I decided to do a Sunday night video, which I normally do right inside of my basement studio. Instead, we decided to do it in my kitchen. So why in the world was I doing the Sunday night video in my kitchen? If you go to Ryan Wrecker Radio on Facebook, you can find it right there and get a pretty good explanation of why that was happening. So something happened during the Super Bowl today. Um, some people were really wondering, hey, um, should I watch it? And I, I think that there was a lot of people that said, no, I think I'm going to skip this one. I don't know what the ratings are going to look like. I think we'll know probably by tomorrow some of the early indications unless for some reason Drudge Report decided to post it up right now, which I guess I can go look real quick. But when they decide to put those up there, it's it's always early numbers and they change so frequently. It's, it's probably easy to uh, ignore them at this point. But when this starts to come out tomorrow, I, I just don't know if this is going to be one of those low points or high points. Just don't know. Um. But there was one high point that everyone is starting to point at, and it has to do with uh, Kevin Harlan's call of what went down at the Super Bowl as someone decided to jump on the field. And let me play this for you real quick because he's uh, this is part of the Westwood One broadcast. Down 20, 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull <laughs> up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. <laughs> Pull up the pants. Take off the bra and be a man. That is the voice of Kevin Harlan. And, you know, one day they'll go back and do a retrospect of his career, and that'll make it. That clip will do it. And he's called so many big games and had so many great calls, and he's done so many awesome things in the broadcast during his broadcast career. And that will be one of them that will be remembered forever. He wasn't the only one calling the game. I think BBC4 was calling it over for the BBC. Uh, do you think they got all excited about someone jumping on the field? Let's take a listen. Patrick Mahomes. I got a second, Vernon. We have a, an intruder on the field, which I, I, th this is the last place I would go. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to run anywhere like that, I mean, the last place you'd go is 
by a load of American footballers in helmets and shoulder pads. Well, let's be honest. Uh, uh, you drive, you you run past a team who are angry, they're annoyed, they're upset. Yeah, there's, there's some great footage, if you can find it, of a fella who ran onto the field during a, a Bears game back in the day. Yeah, and they just stopped. That's basically what they did. They said, all right, uh, I think we are going to just stop talking about this. And they moved on. That was it. All right, so that was fun at the Super Bowl. Tom Brady winning another one, beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Know a lot of uh, Chiefs fans here disappointed, but uh, it was kind of cool to see Brady win it, I got to admit. I guess I don't have too much of allegiance to the uh, Kansas City side, but, you know, you kind of hope for it locally. All right, we'll be back again Monday night, 8 o'clock. Enjoy the rest of your night, and uh, reach me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio, if you want to get us on there. Have a good one. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.